The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Am I on? Yes. Thank you. Father, thank you for this wonderful day that you've given us, this beautiful Sunday. And as we gather here around your word, I pray that you not only preach it, but also practice it in my life. I pray. Amen. As we continue our journey through the book of James, we can clearly see that James in talk is talking about show me faith. He's always talking about show me your faith without works and I'll show you mine with works and so forth. So, so what we have covered so far, he was saying that your faith, if you're born again Christian, it will show up in your trials. It will show up in your temptations, how you handle temptations. It will show, show up in your obedience to the scripture. It will show up in your uh, treating the poor, uh, treating other people without partiality. And as we come um, to chapter 3, he says, your new life, your transformed life, your salvation will also show up in the way you talk, the way people talk. And it's important that we see that uh, James is demanding that we recognize that living faith will show up in the way you talk, in our tongue, how we control our tongue. And apparently the Christians uh, James was writing to was having some issues with their tongue because he speaks about controlling the tongue in pretty much every chapter of the book of James. And as we saw in chapter 1, where he said, you know, we talked about talk less, listen more, and calm down. He was saying that if you can't control your tongue, your religion is useless. So, and somebody actually calculated this and said, if we talk on a yearly basis, we take an average person, we would have 66 books, 800 page, 66 books that we produce with our words. And not only that, but the misuse of the tongue is, for Christian is the easiest way to sin. So, you know, there's some sins a person might not have an opportunity to commit, but with the tongue, there's no limits. There's no built-in restraints because there's no boundaries. Remember Moses? When God chose Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, Moses made all kinds of excuses. And then in, uh, uh, in, in the book of Exodus 4.10, he was making an excuse saying, I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. Right? But what kept him out of the promised land? It was his tongue that actually kept him out of his promised land, if you think about it. So the tongue is in a wet place, and it can easily slip. So in the scripture, the tongue is always, almost always described as wicked, deceitful, filthy, filthy, corrupt, flattering, slanderous, more negative than positive. And no wonder God put it when he created people behind ivory gates and sealed it with the, with the lips. Um, and EG, but the tongue, we have to understand before we get in there, only produces what the heart tells it to produce. The tongue only produces what the heart tells it to produce. It's, that's the reason Jesus said, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murderers, uh, fortifications, thefts, false witness, and things like that. So the mouth is really the monitor of the human condition. And in chapter 3, he calls us to measure our speech to see if it's consistent with what we claim to be the reality of faith. The Bible teaches that the tongue is something that's often out of control 
and we need to control before the rest of us can be controlled. So let's take a look at what he says here in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. My brethren, let, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If one, anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, also able to, also to burdle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at the ships. Although they are so large, they are driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. So how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members that it defiles the whole body. And it sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and a bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives and grapevine bears figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. So James begins his indictment against the tongue with a surprising introduction in the first two verses. He says, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing we shall receive a stricter judgment for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, also able to brittle his whole body. At first glance, James says here, is making a condemning, you know, saying people shouldn't teach. He's saying that people don't run quickly to the role of teaching. It's really a warning that he's giving. By giving caution, let not many of you become teachers. James does not, of course, uh, want does not want those to teach that have a spiritual gift or have been called uh, to preach uh, genuinely. But what he's saying is those who believe that have such a divine calling should first test their faith to be sure they are safe. And remember, he made it clear in first chapter, uh, verse 26, we read, for anyone who does not control his tongue, his religion is useless. Teachers who have the responsibility of speaking God's truth fully, accurately, fall under stricter judgment when it comes to God. We have a great responsibility of declaring God's word, and it's presented actually in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 17 through 19 says this, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hands. Yet if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. There's stricter judgment on teachers. 
And there was erroneous and misleading uh, teachings in the church of Ephesus. And Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy uh, 1 through verses 3 through 7. It says, As I urge you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables, endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification with which is in faith. Now the purpose of this commandment is love from the pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some have strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. And Peter and Jude wrote the same things against heretical teachers. In 2 Peter 2, uh, verses 1 through 3, it says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who secretly bring destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them to bring on themselves swift destruction. And many, many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Be covetous, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has been not idle, and their destructions does not slumber. In Jude, in verses 8, 10, and 16, it says, Likewise, other dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, speak of evil dignitaries. But these, in verse 10, it says, But these speak of evil of whatever they do not know, whatever they know naturally. Like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. There's different reasons why people get into ministry. There's different reasons. And some people think it's they get some kind of fame, they get some kind of authority. But teacher receives stricter judgment. Because the teacher is responsible to speak the truth no matter what. Not personal opinion. And what the teacher says affects many lives. Sometimes it's overwhelming feeling that I get here. The responsibility I have. There's a lot of pressure on here. There's a lot of prayer that goes into this. You know, sometimes people will think, oh, little sermon. He did an okay job or whatever. But the amount of pressure that goes into it, the prayers that I do not misrepresent God's word, because I certainly do not want to stand in front of God, and he says, well, that person died of his iniquity, but the blood is going to be on your hands, Cornet. It's very serious business. And this is what Mark writes in 12, 38, 40. He said, then he said to them in his teaching, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, Love greetings in marketplaces, the best seats in synagogues and churches, the best places of feasts, who devour widows' houses for presents, make long prayers. So they seem all this religion, you know, they, they want to look like they're somebody holy, like they, they're the, you know, on the right hand of God, they're representatives of God. And he says, these will receive greater condemnation. But the teacher's eternal reward will reflect his faithfulness, and his teachings. In Acts 20, 26, 27 says, Therefore I testify to you that this day I am innocent of the blood of all man. Why? For I have not shunned to declare you the whole counsel of God. Some people just preach all the good parts of the Bible. They don't want to talk about sin. They don't want to talk about hell. 
Hell is one of the topics that Jesus talked about more than anything. So the tongue, though it's very small, it could be very powerful. It influences other people. The tongue can direct, it can destroy. It has great power. So in verse 3, he says, he brings the illustration, he says it's like a bit in the horse's mouth. Indeed, we put bits in horse's mouth that they may obey us and we turn their whole body. It's very good illustration, particularly appropriate because the bit lies on the horse's tongue. When attached to brittle in the reins, it's possible for the rider to control the entire horse. So controlling the horse's mouth controls their heads and directs their whole body. You can control a horse by controlling the tongue. But even the gentle horses, which have been ridden for many years, are not controllable without the bit in their mouth. As long as they're expected to do a service, you need a bit in their mouth. Riding, pulling a wagon, so it's with believers. To be useful to God, we'll need our tongues to be controlled with everything else we'll follow into submission. And a horse is pretty useless without the bit. Have you ever seen, anybody been to Amish country, drive by Amish country? Everybody seen a, a horse volunteer to plow a field? A horse volunteer to pull a wagon? Horse volunteer to carry a rider? No. You have to break them and then you put the bit in their mouth so you can control the whole horse. And that's what James is saying. You can control your tongue, then you can control your whole body. Everything else will comes in line. Without the control of tongues, horse is absolutely useless. It's just going to run around. It's not going to listen. It's not going to go plow a field. And then he brings another example also. It's a, a rudder of a large ship, powerful ship. In verse 4 he says, Look at the ships, although they are all so large, are driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a very small rudder, whatever the pilot desires. Just a little rudder can change the direction of a whole ship. It's a powerful thing. You know, during the World War II, there was a, uh, a slogan or a saying that says, loose lips sink ships. But loose lips also wreck lives. A person makes an unguarded statement with their tongue will find themselves in the fight, which will cause the entire body to defend itself. So selecting a bit and a rudder, James represents two small items of themselves but yet they have great power, just like the tongue. A small bit enables the rider to control a horse. small rudder enables the pilot to, or a captain, steer the ship. But you see, the, the bit in the, in, the, in the rudder must overcome contrary forces. The bit must overcome the wild nature of a horse. The rudder must overcome the nature of fighting the winds, currents, which will drive the ship off course. And to control our tongue, the human tongue also must overcome contrary forces. We have an old nature that wants to control us. It makes us sin. There's circumstances on the outside, and sin on the inside, pressures outside, and seeking to control of the tongue. And you see, there's a small bit rudder 
which means they affect the lives of others as well. The words you say affect others as well. Think of a runaway horse. If it's just running around, it can do damage to some other people. If a ship, the rudder is not controlled, it can come to the rocks and cause injury to the passengers. The words we speak affect the lives of others. Have you ever thought about that? Let me give you a, a live illustration. Now, this is a true story. Some, I don't know, maybe some of you know it, some of you don't. But there's actually been a documentary now made about it. It's called uh, The Man Who Saved the World. His name was Stanislav, Stanislav Petrov. I don't know where you were on September 26 of 1983. I was three years old myself. <laughs> but if you were anywhere on the East Coast in the Midwest, we are alive today because of Stanislav Petrov. Let me give you some background about Soviet Union and United States. They were enemies. Everybody knows that. In 1945, United States dropped two nuclear weapons, Nagasaki, Hiroshima. Everybody knew that the United States got great military power. They demonstrated their nuclear capabilities, and they've shown they're not afraid to use the nukes. So Russians knew the only nation or people that can get in their way would be United States. Fast forward to September 1st, 1983. A South Korean uh, airliner, civilian airline, accidentally comes over prohibited airspace of the Soviet Union. And instead of escorting them out, they shut the plane down. All 269 passengers were dead, and including Larry McDonald, who was a United States representative from Georgia. It was most intense moments during this Cold War. So Russia is expecting a retaliation. And they know that if anyone can do a retaliation, it would be the United States. 25 days later, September 26, 1983, Stanislav Petrov is reporting to duty. He's a colonel. In the Moscow bunker, he controls all the satellites and nuclear weapons. Now, this guy is a mess. During his wife is dying of cancer, he's got cancer. And as you can tell, Russian people are poor, hungry, and everybody was like that. So I would not want this man at any control of any kind of weapon. But it was his day off too. So instead of spending it with his wife, he had to go to work. And it would seem like every normal night, and all of a sudden, the alarms go off. Their radars indicate that there was a rocket launched from the west coast of the United States, and it's coming towards Soviet Union. Everybody's panicking, alarms going off. Now, before he makes a decision, he has to confirm from various sources that it's a, indeed a rocket. So they check their rockets, different radars, five different locations. 
all come positive that there's a rocket coming their way, except they could not get a visual. It was cloudy. So the, the person said, I cannot confirm nor I can deny that I have a visual. So he has a decision to make. Everything indicating the rockets coming their way. So he picks up the red phone and says false alarm. And hangs up. Everybody in the bunker is kind of, did we just hear this right? And you can check this facts. Did we just hear him say that? And as soon as he hangs on the phone and puts the phone down and sits down and tears start coming in his eyes and the alarms go off again. There's two more rockets coming from the same place towards Soviet Union. So he makes his team go through the whole process again. Everything's confirmed. And now he's not reaching for the red phone. The red phone is ringing for him to pick up. And it rings, and he picks it up. And they're like, we don't have time. You need to tell us what's going on because we need to retaliate. So false alarm, or he needs to say confirmed, and the guy on the other line releases nuclear weapons. He says false alarm. He says false alarm. And they double check him. He says false alarm. No one in the bunker argued with him because they respected him a lot. And they knew that they were going to die either way. Because after the rockets hit, the military will execute them. Because millions of people might also die in, in Soviet Union that the rockets will hit. So now, they're just sitting in the bunker and watching these rockets fly on their radar. Watching the rockets fly. And impact. But the ground radars don't pick up any explosion. The ground radars don't put any explosion. There was no missiles. It was a faulty system. Till this day, they cannot figure out what went wrong with the radars. But imagine if he had all that same information and he uttered one word, confirmed. They did an analysis. Half the United States would have been wiped out. And of course, they would expect the United States to retaliate. Half the Soviet Union would have been wiped out. And again, I'm not making this up. You can check it out yourself. Not now. Don't Google it. Uh, but Google it. And what kept him? He said, I didn't think the United States was stupid enough to start a nuclear war. That's it. That's it. One word could have changed humanity. The power of words. Think about it these days. President can utter a couple of words, sign a document. The nation would be a war. Your lives are affected. Same way words affect the very powerful. Any movement, study history, starts with a speech, starts with getting people right up. That's why the Proverbs in 18.21 says, death and life are the power of the tongue, in the tongue. Death and life. Then the third illustration he gives us, it's like a spark in the grass. It only takes a fire. What's, what, it's a spark to get a fire going. 
Look what it says here in verse 5. Even the tongue is a little member that boasts great things. See how great a forest little fire kindles. By comparing the fire, James points out that the tongue has tremendous power to destroy. Like I said, it takes only a little spark to, get the, to cause great damage. We all seen forest fires on the news, and I've been in California myself. Usually somebody just throws a cigarette or somebody didn't put out the campfire all the way. And not only the fire destroys the forest, but also the wildlife that resides in those forests. Just a little spark. It's just a little seemingly insignificant spark. Seems to be nothing, but soon destroy everything in its path. David said in Psalm 57, 4, My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spear, spears and arrows, and their tongue is a sharp sword. Somebody said the tongue is the only, uh, only grows sharper with constant use. And the fire has uh, amazing, unique capacity to reproduce itself in almost unlimited way, as long as it has fuel to burn. You know, like if I take the water bottle here and I'll pour it out, Grace Fellowship is not going to flood. But if I start a little fire the size of this water bottle, it'll probably destroy the entire church. Fire feeds on itself, as long as there's sufficient flammable material. And your tongue is like a torch. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. And it really doesn't have to be that great to begin with. You can say something you didn't mean to have any harm, but it can have devastating effects beyond your control. You ever had to eat your words? Anyone? Somebody said, my diet is balanced, my food is best, but it's the words I have eaten I cannot digest. No wonder Solomon wrote in Proverbs 17, 27, he said, Who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is a calm spirit. Doesn't this kind of remind us of what James is telling us? Talk less, listen more, and calm down. In Proverbs 14, 29, he writes, He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, slow to anger, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. Tongue is a fire. Words can spread like fire too. Words implant ideas, emotions in our minds, their effects for good of evil can be profound. So not only we have to remember your life is directed by your tongue, but tongues direct churches, direct nations, control crowds. And what we really have to remember is what's written in Matthew 12, 36, which says, but I say unto you, for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in a day of judgment. So we can see the great power of the tongue, the great influence, how we can influence, but then he further develops the image of the tongue as a fire in verses 6 through 8. He says in um, James 3, 6 through 8, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members that defiles the whole body and sets the fire of course of nature. It is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly evil full of deadly poison. <clears throat> I 
It's intriguing phrases that he uses to describe the tongue. World of iniquity. Defiles the entire body. Body. Sets on fire, of course, by nature. Set on fire by hell. What James is saying that there's a full range of iniquity, iniquity finds its outlet through the tongue. It's virtually impossible to bubble up with anger without expressing our rage in words, right? Bitterness sours our speech. Pride prattles on and on. Hate explodes from the lips. And all of a sudden, a gentle person becomes a monster. The world of iniquity. It defiles the whole body. The system of evil spreads and contaminates the rest of the body. Uh, smoke of fire, ready to modify the, the, the metaphor that he used of the fire here, is it destructs itself. But smoke defiles. It per, 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 uh, penetrates. It permanently contaminates everything that it's exposed to. Anybody ever been next to a person who smokes a cigarette? Then you walk away, your clothes smelling like cigarettes? It's contaminated. So anything that the fire doesn't destroy, it's still passes off the smoke, and the smoke will permanently permeate it and ruin it. Fiery words can defile a home, Sunday school class, a church, defiled by the tongue. Are we guilty of using filthy speech? And James says the tongue pollutes, it defiles our body. Then in verse 6 he says, its tongue is a fire, world of iniquity. The tongue is so wet, set among our members, that it defiles the whole body, sets on fire, of course, of nature, and is set on fire by hell. The tongue is a fire. People, there are people who deliberately, hurtfully, hatefully use their tongues to destroy the lives of other people. Purposely. Set on fire by hell indicates the tongue can be a Satan's tool to fulfill his purposes to pollute, corrupt, destroy. And the work of the uncontrolled tongue is a product of hell. That's what he's saying. A person who does not control his tongue is doing devil's work. Careless tongues have caused untold damage and hindered God's work over and over throughout history. And some of us probably experienced it ourselves here. In Proverbs 16, 27, 28 says, And an ungodly man digs up evil and on, its, on his lips like a burning fire. A perverse man shows strife and a whisperer separates the best of friends. You see, some people don't use vulgar language. They just gossip. I think gossip is one of the biggest, one of the biggest issues among Christians. Some say, well, it wasn't gossiping. I was sharing prayer requests. I don't know if you guys heard a story of three preachers going fishing. And three pastors from a local area, and they decided to confess their sins to each other. And the first pastor says, well, I have a drinking problem. Sometimes I drive out of town where nobody knows me and I just get drunk. So he says, pray for me. Another pastor says, well, mine is gambling. I gamble all our savings away. Help me. Pray for me. And the third pastor says, well, guys, I guess I should have went first because mine is gossiping and I can't wait to get home. That the secret is something you tell one person at a time, right? And how important it is that our speech always be with grace and seasoned with salt. 
And then he moves on to verses 7 through 8, says, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile or creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can contain the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. James points out in these two verses is simply the human tongue is uncontrollable, untainable, undisciplined, irresponsible, and savage. Tongue devours like a wild animal. You know, we... <laughs> probably been to a circus or somewhere where we see major attractions of these wild animals, tigers and so forth. I still don't understand how they get free willy or those fish to jump out of the water. How do you, how do you train them? How do you tame them and get them to do that? But no one that is human being has his own power to tame the tongue. We can do all these things, but even the believers, our tongue easily slips out of its sanctified cage, if we can say that. Look what Paul wrote to Galatians in 5.15. He said, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you consume by one another. These Christians they weren't literally physically eating each other. They were bickering, fighting with the words. Like animals. And in verse 8 he says, but no man can contain the tongue. It's unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Did you know you can poison somebody with your tongue? Tongue pollutes, destroys, devours. Then he says it deadens like a poison. And the deceptive thing about the poison, it works secretly, slowly, and then it kills. Proverbs 11.9 says this, The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteousness will be delivered. The hypocrite with his mouth destroys the neighbor. It's like poison of a viper. Spits up the tongue and gossip, slander, and all these things. Look what Paul wrote to Romans in chapter 3.13. says, their throat is open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. You can kill people with your tongue. By slipping lies and things like that. What happened to Stephen? First martyr. What happened? They couldn't stand the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So what did they do? They lied about Stephen and said he spoke against Moses. So they beat him with stone. In Acts 21, we see uh, Paul returning to Jerusalem. What did they do? Well, he brought a Gentile into the temple. He defiled the temple. And they started to beat him and almost killed him. And the Romans came and rescued him. So are we guilty Sometimes in our speech, answering some poison about someone, about something. And lastly, I want to look at the inconsistency of the tongue. Many of us are members of the church and love God, but we're inconsistent with our tongues. In verses 9 through 12, it says, With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives and grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. So he's illustrating from nature here. And it's saying if, it's our, great, if our hearts are filled with grace, shouldn't our lips be filled with goodness? Every believer should bless God the Father with our tongues. God wants it and desires it, and we should do it. But with it, we also curse men who have made 
in the likeness of God. It's inconsistent. And I said, remember Peter, when before the crucifixion, uh, he, Jesus asked Peter, who, who, who am I? What did Peter say? You're the Christ, son of the living God. But during the crucifixion, he said, I do not know this man. Started cursing and swearing. Even Paul's tongue slipped when he called the high priest the whitewashed wall. Now, he didn't know it was a high priest, but those words were not fitting for somebody that's a servant of God. Again, obvious, he says here, can a fig tree, brethren, bear olives and a grape, grape wine bear figs? Obvious answer is no. It's contrary to nature. And then he says, does no spring yields both salt water and fresh? The tongue is very inconsistent. There's something, if it's inconsistent, there's something really radically wrong with our heart. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. And friends, if we fill our hearts with God's word and yield to the Holy Spirit, He can use our speech to bring delight to others, and we'll be refreshing fountains and trees. And too many Christians go to church to find fault, gossip, criticize. And James saying we can't do that. We ask Christians to be consistent. So he's given us an illustration how powerful the tongue is. It tells us the iniquity of the tongue. It tells us about the inconsistency of the tongue. It says if anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man. But then again, he says, no man can tame the tongue. But James is saying, you can't control your tongue, and I can't control my tongue without the aid of the Holy Spirit. And Luke 6.45 says, a good man out of good treasure of his heart brings forth good, an evil man out of evil treasure of his heart brings off evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. See, what's in the root of the tree will show up in the fruit of the tree. If the tree is bad, brings no fruit, there's obviously something, the tree is bad. There's something wrong with the root. Everybody ever excuse yourself by saying, I don't know what came out of me, I'm sorry. But James is saying, okay, that there is something because it came out of you. That's why it came out in the first place. There's something wrong with the heart. Either the tree is good, as we read in Matthew 12, 40, 33, it says, either make the tree good and the fruit is good, or it makes the tree bad and fruit is bad. For trees know but its fruit. Now, there's a couple of things that might be wrong with us. Either you have your false religion, you think you were saved, but you never really were slave, or if you were saved, then you're backslide. So what are we to do? Well, it's clear that it's the issue of a heart. So the first thing we need to do is check our heart. Matthew 15, 19 says, For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murderers, adulterers, fornifications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Sometimes I think, why not say your heart or your something, uh, you know, head or something like that, but it's out of the heart. Ezekiel 18.31 says, Cast away from all your transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and the new spirit. Why should you die, O house of Israel? And David prayed in Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew steadfast spirit within me. 
When a person receives Jesus Christ as personal Savior, he becomes a new creation. We all know that. And that transformed nature will produce transformed behavior. And the new behavior involves new speech, speech that corresponds to our saved and sanctified life and reflects the holy nature of the one that gave us that new life. And the only way you can have peace in your home is to control your tongue. Then your transformed nature will start to produce transformed behavior. And then we need to check our spirit. When you get a new heart, this thing is called being born again. And the Holy Spirit enables himself as the new ruling principle of our life. The Bible says that which is born of the spirit is of spirit. And Galatians 5.25 says, if we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. And look back at Ezekiel 18.31. It says, not only a new heart, but it says a new spirit. You can't do it on your own. You can't control the tongue on your own. Who controls the horse? Somebody's got to walk it. Expert horsemen sitting on top of it. Somebody's behind the reins pulling. Who controls the ship? There's a captain, right, that steers the ship. So even though the tongue is behind the ivory gates, somebody has to control it. And James already told us that no man can control it. We need the aid of the Holy Spirit. In Psalm 141.3 says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. What goes in your mind goes in your heart. And what comes out of your heart goes into your mouth. And thirdly, and I say this all the time, check your thinking. Think before you speak. Proverbs 15.28 says, The heart of the righteous study how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. And when I say think, it's really an acronym. You know, T is for, is it true? I don't know. Then don't say it. Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? And most importantly, is it really necessary? What are you trying to gain? Is it necessary to say? Do I really need to repeat this information? And is it kind? If it doesn't meet this criteria, then maybe you shouldn't say it. We need to have every situation, every circumstance of our life, let our words exalt, that lift, edify each other, that praise God so that Jesus can take those words and build on them. And somebody wrote these things and said, The things I say and do today, a memory's book I'll keep. And when I'm old and read them, will I laugh or will I weep? Definitely something to think about. There is power in the words that you say. Power in the words that you tell your children. Don't ever tell your children they're good for nothing. Because <laughs> it might come true. Encouraging words. Loving words will help not only your life, but also have life effect on the life of others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word to us this morning. And I pray that you help us to control the tongue. Give us the power to do that. May we be good men, women who ought to be, out of the good treasure of our hearts, bring forth good things, sweet fountains who bring forth sweet water. And may it be every time we open our mouth, we minister 
with grace to the hearers. And again, I thank you for this word, for your enabling us, because you've given us a new heart, and with the new spirit, we can control our tongue. And I pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Yes,